everyone, and welcome. This is episode 275 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James here in Madison, and Ryan and Paul together t- in uh, Milwaukee. They're doing the in-person record. Uh, Paul's yeah. stopping by in town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a rare occasion in Ryan's dining room there. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, I think this is the third time maybe we've recorded in person. I think Once it was three. in Detroit. Oh, uh, I think I've been here twice, and I've been to your old place, you know, at least once, and I think a couple times. So The think, place downtown. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. I think this is uh, third time here. So Okay. But yeah, yeah. it is, yeah, so. uh, it is rare. Me. This yeah. is the way it was supposed to be. Originally, this was how I... The first whatever 120 episodes or whatever were recorded mostly at Steve's place. I would actually go physically in person to his house and record. And then, you know, JP was on the other side of the country or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> right. Or, you know, right. in, yeah, either in Indiana or in Oregon. So, yep. I mucked everything up. I mean, they used to have Jared come over to my basement all the time, too. And uh, alas, I move, of course, every six months or so. So that's how it goes. You've been stable for a while now, not, though. Not moving again. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> that, that's it. Well, it's a it's a good occasion to to be in person because we're going to start our deep dive uh, season preview here for the Brewers. We're only about three weeks away from opening day, so uh, we're going to start with our first of three, I guess, preview episodes over the next few weeks as we get closer to opening day here. But before we get started, a reminder, as always, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month guarantees your questions get answered both on this podcast and on this as reporting as, as eligible. Uh, I feel like those questions are going to come in uh, handy pretty soon here as we await the Aaron Rodgers resolution here. Uh, Paul, you're on Aaron Rodgers' watch. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he's due. There's lots of opportunities for Aaron to cause chaos here in the upcoming two days. He pretty much has to make a decision before the start of uh, the, the legal tampering period in two days. Uh, otherwise, the Packers cannot make financial decisions. And then he can also muck with Selection Sunday and with the Oscars. So there's all kinds of opportunities. And Aaron loves chaos and being the center of attention more than anything else. So uh, it's going to, I think, break one way or another any day now. And we'll record it when we when it happens, finally. Yeah, uh, definitely on standby over on my end, too. Because that could just throw my entire weekend into chaos. And I feel like Aaron Rodgers would like nothing more uh, than to just personally ruin my weekend. It's so he does. Uh, we'll see. Yes, we'll see what happens there. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. And uh, meanwhile, five bucks a month over at the Patreon gets you question priority, plus some additional exclusive content, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire. As we mentioned last week, Ryan and James did their own Brewers top 10 prospects. So if you haven't checked that out yet, definitely a good way to get ready for the season as well. Um you know, Sal Freilich doing really well in the World Baseball Classic. So that's kind of cool to see, too, and kind of just fuels the questions on when we'll see him with the Brewers. But um, <laughs> def- definitely check that out as well. For sure. Yeah, he has looked really, really good. He is squaring everything up. Every time I turn on a game and watch him, he is squaring baseballs up. Yeah. It really, the swing is so compact and so just, like, straight through the zone. It's, it is a thing to watch. Like, it really... People are going to love him because this is the thing people have wanted for a long time is like contact hitters. And so he is going to give people their wish. We have to take Louis Sirius's 80 hit tool belt away from him, I think. (laughs) It's uh, it's got to go to Sal. Well, it was always weird to have an 80 on a guy who is uh, a righty. 
in Urias versus a guy who's a lefty, you expect it more with a guy who's a lefty, yeah, right? Yeah, like, they get like a, a half a grade bump just for being like a lefty, I think. They do. He, and he looks the part more. Like Urias is a good, you know, he's a good hitter. But uh, I, I feel like this is what it actually looks like, where every single pitch is like, oh, right on the button every time. It's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's definitely really exciting to see. Um, and, and I can't really wait to see what uh, his roster status is for, for the start of the year. Um, all right, but that's hitting. And today we're going to focus on pitching. So we're going to start our deep dive with looking at the pitching staff. Obviously, um, you know, seen as the, the strength of the team still and really the thing that will power the Brewers to the playoffs if they make it that far. So um, I guess let's just jump right in. Let's start with the rotation uh, again should be pretty much the highlight of the team, right? You've, you've still got Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff at the top of the rotation there. Freddie Peralta, hopefully over his shoulder issues from last season. Eric Lauer, a really solid fourth starter. And then, you know, back into the rotation, we'll figure out in a little bit. All right, so as we look at the rotation, let's just start at the top with Corbin Burns. I've got the Pakoda projections here, the latest run as of March 5th. So they are projecting him for 4.1 war. Uh, 248 ERA with a 317 DRA in 174 innings. So obviously last year, a really good year from him, but not a Cy Young caliber year. And the Brewers evidently made that plenty, plenty clear in their arbitration hearing. So uh, I guess, does he need to be at the top of the league level at that top Cy Young contending level for the Brewers to really contend? I think he does, um, but I'm not really worried about Corbin for a couple of reasons. One of which is, um, while it's never great to tick off your start, let's just assume that Corbin is not going to resign with the team. Whether No matter what they did not in arbitration, that's going to happen. Um, he has huge incentives to pitch really, 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 really well. It, whether he wants to you know, escape or not, he, he's got to get paid. Um, and uh, he's a star. I mean, last year, was ba- last year was bad for Corbin Burns, but it was still awesome for 99% of pitchers in baseball. So, yeah, he needs to be the star if they're going to contend. Your stars need to be stars for you to contend. But, uh, I mean, outside of injury, if there's a safe bet on a guy performing up to expectations, I think it's it's Burns above kind of all else. Yeah, I would say they could handle him being less than great over the course of a full season and still contend. What they need is for him to be, if they're in the playoffs, they need him to be an ace and dominating if they want to make a run in the playoffs, right? Like that's probably the more important thing because I think they have the depth where they can get themselves to the playoffs in a lot of different ways. Like they have different paths to get there. It's more about like, if you want this team to perform at its highest possible level in the games that really matter at the end of the season like that, that's where you're going to need him to shine. Yeah, Burns and Woodruff uh, combined aren't just your keys to making the playoffs. That's very true. Like if you actually want to actually win anything, they need to be dominant at the right time. That's what it really comes down to for the Brewers. That's their secret weapon. Those two can neutralize almost any lineup, and uh, you just need to get in and keep them you know, healthy enough to be the, the aces they are when it actually matters. Yeah, and it is noteworthy. They really do have them both being workhorses. It, it's funny to see like 174 and 166 in terms of innings and go that's a workhorse now because it is you know 200 used to be like kind of the bare minimum for a workhorse like true workhorses were like 230 240 and that's just not really a thing did they i guess sandy alcantara was over 200 last year but i'm not sure if there was anybody else i don't think there was i think that was it yeah i think it was just the one the one guy so that's really 
you know, what they need there. Uh, there was some interesting things that came out this week. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at it, but um, uh, analyst for The Athletic now, Eno Saris, used to be at Fangraphs. He uh, released his Stuff Plus model. Did you see this? Uh, I did, but I did not read it in depth. Uh, okay. So basically what Stuff Plus does, it's, it's a couple different numbers, and it's using, uh, it's using StatCast data. And what they're evaluating is both the quality of the stuff and the quality of the pitcher's location. So how well the pitcher is locating and how well the like the stuff plays, right? So the pitch characteristics, all these sorts of things. It's a very advanced sort of algorithmic thing. And it those two numbers get combined together into a number called pitching plus. So uh, that's sort of the the overall thing where you, you have the stuff plus the location is is the pitching plus. And both Burns and Woodruff, you're not going to be surprised to find this out, <laughs> last year, uh, if you sort for 100 innings, which is what I did, uh, you end up with Corbin Burns is sixth in uh, pitching plus at 109, and Woodruff is eighth at 108. Um, the difference is, is that uh, Woodruff actually... Uh, or, well, Burns is more of a, a stuff plus guy. He's at 126, but his location plus is only 102. So just mm. kind of slightly above average location, whereas Woodruff is uh, only a 114 stuff plus. I say only. I mean, that's 14% better than league average. <laughs> it's very, very good, especially for a starter. Um, and then uh, the location plus, though, is 107. That's you know, really, really pretty he's, good. He's putting it where he wants. Right, and exactly. I do like it's. It, I like it's a really good stat in its simplicity. Um, because it takes, I think, really easily understood stat cast data, uh, looks for sort of the two most important parts for a pitcher and puts them together. I like it. It's a very Paul stat, actually. It's kind of how I make all my stats is go find better stats and smash them together into one. So um, it, it's a... Uh, it, it tells you a lot, and uh, it's it's nice to see. First of all, that checks out with both of those guys, too. I do think Woodruff locates a little better than Burns does. That's why Burns occasionally gets himself into home run trouble, and I think Burns has better stuff. So it also you know checks the, the eye test pretty well as well. Yeah, and if you look at it, like obviously if you sort this by like 50 innings and you drop the, the sort down to 50 innings, you end up with a lot of relievers of at course the top. You do. Like yeah. Emmanuel Classe is just, you know, has the best stuff in baseball, and it's kind of not close uh at least you know by guys who threw a full season either as a reliever or a starter last year yep. but yeah when you look at the starters it is the guys you would expect up at the top spencer strider is you know up at the top cole wheeler gaussman kevin gaussman is always like weirdly at the top of all these lists and yeah you just don't think of him as like a true superstar pitcher but he has been um at least in most years. I think last year he was a little bit down, but yeah. So uh, it is it is comforting to see that like what they're doing is very legitimate, right? Like this is not a fluke. I think we've gone well past any sort of belief that like what Woodruff and Burns are doing is fluky in any way. Yeah. They're truly two of the best pitchers in baseball, and that's why they're going to get paid in a couple of years. So the, it right. is coming that way just because these guys are legitimate. Everybody would kind of like to get them in their rotations. Yeah, I guess speaking of Woodruff, uh, Pakota projecting him for 3.4 warp and a 277 ERA, but with a 345 DRA in 166 innings, as you mentioned. Um, and, and we kind of talked, he's kind of been seen as the workhorse between the two, even though he, he's thrown fewer innings than Burns in the same amount of starts since uh, 2020, which I thought was kind of interesting. It is only like 22 innings, so a few here, a few there. 
but we have kind of seen him struggle with efficiency a little bit from time to time. You know, those shorter starts, high pitch counts, and he's projected to throw those 166 innings this year. But I guess, you know, we kind of talked about that 200 innings, obviously not really a thing anymore, uh, unless you're talking top of the top of the league. But do you think in terms of just, you know, helping power the, the Brewers to higher levels of contention, as you guys mentioned, does he need to be closer to the like 179 innings he threw in 2021 for the Brewers to really kind of make a push at that division and be true contenders? I don't really think so. Uh, I, I think that's just, you're really talking at the margins there, uh, splitting hairs between like 160 and 180. And it, it really just comes down to like more timing than anything else. Like if Woodruff, it, one of the things that comes along with, you know, a location versus stuff guys. Corbin Burns can get guys out by throwing his stuff right down the middle of the plate sometimes, whereas Woodruff is going to be a nibbler. It's going to make him less efficient sort of by nature. I mean, okay, he might be hitting the paint, but sometimes you're going to get C.B. Buckner and sometimes you're going to get an actual good umpire. And, you know, that has a huge impact on how far guys like Woodruff go. Um, so I really think any anything in that range is just the healthy Woodruff range. And that's really all you need from him. So uh, I don't think there's really, other than, you know, if he misses two months, that's really bad. But uh, as long as you're getting something like that, you're fine with him. And he will he will perform fine and, and you're okay. That's what you're shooting for here. Yeah, he also finished really strong last year. Like, he was good down the stretch. It had been, like, before the injury last year, before he missed time with, was it first the... Uh, the ankle issue it was like a leg it was issue. A, it was a weird leg issue yes and then he had that renaud syndrome and that you know makes you a little bit nervous because uh pitchers not being able to feel their fingertips not great and like, i don't like having to google maladies either which i did for that one <laughs> yeah so not ideal but when he came back from all that he was basically good from the jump and was their best pitcher from then on for the rest of the season and I think there is a chance that we see him as like him and Burns are close enough, I think, in true talent that him having a better year than Burns here would not be a surprise. And actually, one of the projection systems, I think Pakoda in an earlier run had him as a little bit better. I believe it did have him for like an extra tenth of a war or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then they corrected that or they changed. You know, those formulations are always kind of getting tweaked and whatever. Yep. And it ended up with Burns back, you know, just a little bit in front of Woodruff. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Woodruff be the better pitcher between the two. They're close enough. They're both, you know, in the top 10 pitchers in baseball. I think by any metric you want to look at, whether it's fantasy or whether it's stuff plus or just you know, projected war, all those things. They're both in the top 10. Yeah. I think he gets the workhorse mantra more than anything just because he's like twice as wide as Corbin Burns. He, he's he's like a, you know, he's, he looks like... <laughs> he, he looks like a sturdy guy, right? He looks right? like Roger yeah. Clemens when he's pitching. Like he looks like that kind of pitcher. Like he, he's a, a, not burly, that's not quite right. But, you know, he, he's a built guy. And so he, he really looks like he's working out there. So uh, Burns, you know, he throws more a lot of time. But Woodruff's kind of fun to watch for that reason. He really looks like he's getting after people. Yeah. So I think, you know, part of the thing here of having these two guys at the top is you are hoping that they are going to you know, sort of set the pace and make it possible for the rest of the rotation to not have to carry as much of a load that you can handle some things. Uh, and they've both been relatively healthy, though both have also generally missed some time. I think Burns last year was the first year he didn't miss a turn in the rotation. I think right? that's true. And uh, like kind of amazing, actually, just because 
I feel like the Brewers give guys a rest, like a fake injury rest every once in a while, even if they're not really injured. And, and Burns actually avoided even that. Yeah. So um, it, it, that's it, worth considering. You know, it, pitchers do get hurted is the nature of being a pitcher, but they have been healthy outside of Reynolds syndrome or whatever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Worth noting, too, that Corbin Burns led the league in games started last year. So, um, you know, really dependable to have those two at the top of the rotation uh but i guess moving on to to number three in the rotation and and somebody who had some durability issues last year and freddie peralta so again his pakota projections are for about 1.6 warp with a 329 era and a 396 dra they're only projecting him for 111 innings uh this year so um you know when we were always talking about freddie there was always kind of that lingering concern Concern due to his smaller stature, right? That's kind of always brought some of those durability concerns. Last year, we really saw it flare up in a big way for the first time with his shoulder problems. Uh, he, he seems to be feeling good so far this spring, but I guess how concerned are we about that shoulder this year? And um, do we need to kind of scale back expectations for him because of that now? I mean, at this point, I think it has to just sort of be a, at the worst, a background concern or I guess at the least a background concern, if not a sort of top of mind concern. It's, it's a thing that we have to worry about now. You just, you're not going to expect big healthy seasons from Freddie Peralta, at least not until he shows it multiple times in a row now. Right? Yeah, totally. And uh, shoulder issues from where are uh, all, first of all, all shoulder issues are bad, uh, but his particular kind I think they're more likely to be pernicious. I mean, it's also bad if you Jimmy Nelson yourself and slide into him. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, it, I think when you have Freddie, it becomes a little bit predictable because uh, it's the, the load on his pitch delivery that is likely the cause of these, and that's not good. Um, that said, I think your expectations on Freddie are just baseline. You get like 100 really, really good innings. And you don't have expectations for Freddie. It's uh, you. He might blow it right away. He might pitch 100 innings that aren't that great because he's kind of hurt. He might be spectacular, but there's also that um, that late 25, 20 percent possibility where you know he takes a step forward, stays healthy, and gets himself into that tier of Burns and Woodruff just for a season. Um, it's not likely because he is small and gets hurt a lot, but he has good enough stuff to do it. And if that kind of thing happens. Uh, then you can be a really special team and not just sort of the average good NL Central team that they're projected to be. Yeah, he is kind of the wild card. I think of him like Charlie Day. Always has been. Yeah, like sitting in the back of the the van, like screaming wild card bitches. Like it's, you are, he is going to largely determine what happens with this team. If they take a step forward and end up having a year like they did in 2021, where you know they were, they won 95, but honestly, they were on a pace for like 100 wins before the offense got hurt and bad down the stretch. Yeah. Like they were going to win 100 games. He is the difference between being a good team and a really good, great team. And like the difference between being in the NL Central race and the difference between comfortably winning the NL Central race, that's pretty. Like that's kind of the, the space he occupies. So you have to hope that it's going to work out. But uh, I don't think I would count on it and if they have to get creative with him i think that that's one uh perfectly fine like you can probably get away with it as long as you have some depth and 
if they have to do some things where they're maybe pitching him out of the bullpen a little bit or giving him some breaks, you kind of do what you have to do because if you can get him healthy and good, and I keep saying this, but if you can get him healthy and good for like a playoff run, he is a true weapon. He is the, one of the nastiest pitchers in baseball when he is right, when he is doing what uh, what you're hoping to see from him, right? Like yeah. you, that is that's what you want is what he brings. So I think that uh, I, I was trying to get the stuff plus numbers on it, but the uh, fan draft site is being weird. But yeah, I mean, he is his stuff is like up there as good as anybody in in baseball. Yep, just durability and weirdness. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I was pulling up the rundown for last year's pitching preview when I was prepping for this. And the question I had asked about Freddie last year was, is he stepping closer to that Burns and Woodruff territory than the bottom of the rotation territory? And obviously that's that's the big hope, right? And we, we were really encouraged. He had an all-star season and then obviously the durability issues. But to your guys' point too, it, it wouldn't surprise me either to see them kind of limit him in the middle months just to make sure that he's top of the game for September and yeah. October because having that third starter who's excellent is is really the key and coming out on top in in a short series especially to start the playoffs right so it, it wouldn't surprise me to see that either and you know I think maybe it's kind of built into his 50th percentile projections here with the 111 innings um also maybe kind of you know handicapping for an an IL stint here or there too, but um, definitely agree with you guys. He's really the key on how far the Brewers go. And, you know, when he was hurt last year, we really saw that rotation depth tested and, and that really came up uh, in a big way. All right. Uh, moving on, we've got Eric Lauer. So uh, obviously kind of a breakout year in some ways last year projected this year for a 1.2 warp by Pakoda 389. E array but a 448 dra so obviously some disparities there uh projected for about 151 innings this year he is uh the fourth brewers starter projected for more than one warp in pakota's 50th percentile projection so that's notable too definitely a good depth piece but as i mentioned a really interesting 2022 last year right he got off to that really hot start very very good first two months before he got just absolutely hammered in june with I think his ERA in June was close to seven. It was bad, but he ultimately finished the year pretty strong too. So it looks like DRA doesn't seem to be a big believer in him. And I'd be lying too if I said I wasn't a little nervous about some of the stuff that came out, you know, talking about the, the pitching metrics where apparently Eric Lauer's the best in the league on uh, getting whiffs on middle, middle pitches. And I just don't like pitchers relying on whiffs on middle middle pitches but i guess how do we view him heading into the year is is he you know maybe somebody who could take a step up to that you know number three level or do you still kind of see him as a back end piece i think he's a very good fourth i think if you have three guys better than him you are feeling really really good about your overall rotation situation which i think we are generally feel pretty good about that uh his stuff plus is actually below average. So he has a 93 stuff plus, but a 100 location plus. So he is doing a decent job locating the ball and it all adds up to being you know a 98. So just a little bit below average, which is not terrible considering, again, this is measuring against all pitchers, not just starters. So if your stuff plus as a starter is a little bit below average, you have to sort of 
like the pitching plus, I should say, you have to sort of adjust that up and say, okay, for a starter, that's still pretty solid and pretty good. As a left-handed starter too, right? Facing so many righties. So, I mean, that's... that's Yeah, although that's just also reality. So, you know, you can't really adjust for it. It's not going (laughs) to... It's not going to change. I think... The th- the thing with Lauer is what Ryan said is correct. He's he's a really good fourth starter, but I think that the stuff does limit his upside a little bit um, compared to everybody else. Which is, uh, you know, I'd love to be able to sit here and say, you know, he is also young and maybe he'll take a step up. But I'm not sure that there's too much ceiling left here. I suspect that you know he he will have his good stretches, but to get knocked around once in a while when his location's a little off or. Um, you know his his timing's a little off on stuff because he can get hit hard occasionally. Uh, but generally speaking, he he's a good he's a very good guy to have in the rotation. Um, he he takes a lot of innings and he's generally effective doing it. Um, but you know he's he's not gonna get up into Burns Woodruff even Peralta territory. He I think kind of is what we've seen him last year. Um, ultimately, yeah, he is kind of the classic mid rotation guy that you want to just sort of be there to eat innings. And to to take some load off of the bullpen and to strengthen you like lengthen out your bullpen. And that's gonna involve there will be some runs where he's quite good, like we saw early last year. And then there will be some runs where he's I don't wanna say unplayable, but like where you're definitely like, oh, he yeah, just got his head handed to him and that's fine. Like that's it's part of the deal when you're dealing with a mid-rotation starter. They're not going to be just like six innings and three runs every time out. <laughs> yeah, I think mid, mid-rotation guys get into that trap a little bit once in a while with popular perception is like, well, he should be giving up like four runs a game. And that's not how things work. Like some, sometimes you give up one and sometimes you give up eight. And um, that mm-hmm. variance is just part of how pitching works. So uh, I, I think especially last year, people are prone to remember the blow-up times and minimize the good a little bit, and that's just how things go. And he's totally fine um, and will be fine this year too. Well, and the further you get down in the rotation, the more I'm okay with having guys that are kind of like that where you'll take those starts where they're absolutely dominant because they're likely to win you that game. That is likely to happen. And then you can sort of mitigate and do some things when they get – their head handed to them a little bit when they come out and they're shakier. If you're in a good spot otherwise with your rotation, if if everything else is going kind of good, you have a rested bullpen. There are days when you can yank that guy in the third inning and go, you know, he's only given up like three runs so far, but he's had runners on base a lot. So we're just going to yank him now. And it's suitor time, although yeah. slash whoever is the new suitor, <laughs> which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah. So there's there's some things you can do to play around with that. So I like the idea that you have a guy who's a little bit more up and down than like steadier. And I think that's also a thing like we've, I've always talked about this, that like people think that consistency in baseball is much more of a thing than it really is. There's no player who's truly consistent. Like you get the same performance from them every day or every start or whatever. Everybody has ups and downs. Like you are going to have a roller coaster here. So the idea of consistency is always it's at least a little bit ephemeral. There are players who are more consistent than others, but nobody's truly like really consistent. There's always ups and downs. Well, I guess speaking of roller coasters, let's talk about Adrian Hauser next. Um, talk about, you know, from one year, really, really good to almost unplayable the next. Um, I think Adrian Hauser really uh, kind of personifies that. And we've actually got a question on on Adrian Hauser from Jay Google, our first Patreon question this week, asking, what's the plan for Hauser? Is it six starter? 
Brent Suter's old role, or is it like a seventh inning guy? So Pakoda projecting him for uh, about half a win above replacement with a 417 ERA and a 457 DRA in 84 innings. So that's kind of like a weird mid-level innings, either, you know, a frequently used reliever or maybe a spot starter. I guess, uh, Paul, let's start with you. Where do you see Hauser fitting in? My guess would actually be the suitor role. Uh, I think uh, I I used to really like Adrian Hauser, and I thought that there was a a puncher's chance he would actually take a step forward and become a really valuable starting pitcher uh, because he had... Really, just his problem was platoon splits for a lot of his career, where uh, he he was really really good same side, and if he could just figure out a decent changeup or something along those lines, like guy throws hard, throw, uh, threw some nice breaking pitches, and could get out righties, and just uh, never got that second half working. And I feel like he's taken a step back on his 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 good stuff since then too. And I think at this point he would play up in the bullpen. Um, being a righty killer isn't the worst thing in the world in the bullpen. I feel like he'd get a couple extra miles an hour on his fastball. Um, and uh, it, it seems like a good spot to push him in now because I just don't think the starter thing's going to work out anymore with a slight decline in his kind of starter arsenal to go with the fact that he's never really fixed that problem to at least my uh, specifications. Uh, and he can still be useful in that role. The Brewers love long relievers and and you know still spot start them all the time, use them to bail themselves out. And you know part of their entire MO is limiting times through the order on their starters, even the guys at the top when they need breaks. Um, and you need two, one or two of these guys just to make that happen. Hauser, I think, is good in that role, and I think that is ultimately where he'll land. He'll probably start a few games, but I'm guessing most of his appearances will be out of the bullpen in kind of what we think of as Suter's role. Yeah, I don't know. It depends on health. Like He could easily be pressed into service and need to start, since with the Ashby injury, like that has really put him as the really sole sixth guy. After that, it starts to thin out, and you're talking more prospects pretty quickly but we'll get to that in a minute uh i think that in an ideal world what you do with adrian hauser is you keep him the hell away from uh lefty power hitters (laughs) a good idea generally yes yeah just like avoid that he would be a good candidate to uh if you were so inclined to use like a um an opener for and if you had a team that had a couple of like powerful lefties in the top like four of their lineup Use the opener, get through that, have some lefty star or lefty reliever open the game for him, and then run him out there and try to avoid having him face them. That you know, maybe the second time, if he's going well, you could have him face them a second time, but really, you could get him deeper into the lineup that way by avoiding guys like that. In an ideal world, you could kind of do that, though. If he's pitching out of the bullpen, which you think is the case, Paul, then it is much easier. You could start looking and saying, Okay, well, we've got a run of seven hitters here who are either you know right handed or don't have power, yeah, and then you can just say, Okay, we're going to keep him away from lefties with power because that's his kryptonite it is the problem and that is normal like that's a big part of the sinker profile and he has his sinker is one of the best pitches it it's really good in baseball but the rest of the arsenal isn't great which is and this bears out completely in um in stuff and location plus a 90 stuff plus so solidly below average a 100 location plus so kind of what you'd expect so if you can manage him 
carefully and kind of keep him away from from lefty power hitters as much as possible. You're never going to be able to completely avoid it, right? Like that's just not possible. But if you can minimize the number of times that he has to see, I don't know, in our division, actually lefty power hitters are kind of I was just trying to run through it in it's my kind head. of rare. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's righties, yeah, because yeah, the, There's the a lot of righties. guys are righties. Yeah, they are. The Cubs guys mostly righties insofar as they're not exist. good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think like the Reds, yeah, the Reds, like Joey Votto, but he's not really much of a power hitter anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I yeah. think maybe don't that... have to worry about Jesse Winker anymore either. Yeah, so no kidding. <laughs> hey, there's that. So, uh, yeah. So there are, there are ways to sort of mitigate the, the issues with Hauser. Uh, and if they can do that successfully, uh, yes, in an ideal world, Paul's right. Like you'd like to keep him out of the rotation as much as possible, but you're probably... It seems pretty likely you're gonna have he's gonna have to start a lot just because that's the way it works, especially if they decide to go six man. Right, and uh, we got a question about that coming up. But real quick, first, uh, the other I guess top contender for the rotation, maybe leading candidate for the fifth spot right now is Wade Miley. Obviously, Brewers brought him back real late in the off season, uh, projected for zero point four warp and a four thirty eight ERA, but a four ninety DRA. Pakoda has him slated for 124 innings pitched, which would seem to indicate they like him best for that four or five uh, starter role. But worth mentioning, too, that it was a kind of an open question on if Wade Miley was going to be done. We kind of talked about how he actually performed really well uh, after leaving the Brewers. But um, apparently, you know, he's telling reporters in Cincinnati that he thought he might be done and might not come back this year. Uh, might not sign a free agent deal. So a uh, quote from the Cincinnati Enquirer from him recently was actually um, saying, quote, I was so unsure at the end of the year for what was next. I wanted to get my shoulder healthy. I did a little program right after the season was over and it didn't feel good at all. I did it for four weeks and it was awful. That's when I went into, I wouldn't call it depressed mode, but I was like, it's not worth it. At that moment, I was like, I think we're done. Me and my wife talked and said, I think this might be it. Obviously, things changed a few months later when the Brewers came and, and offered him a contract. So I guess maybe, Ryan, you are thinking that this kind of throws a question into just how right Wade Miley is and whether he'll kind of stick in that fifth rotation spot. Yeah, I think we can't take for granted that he's just going to be there all season between the fact that he wasn't healthy last year and he missed a bunch of time. So we have to allow for that. And just the fact that he thought he was that close, uh, I think you have to sort of respect his knowledge of his own body and where he's at mentally and say, yeah, he's a big question mark. And that's fine. They're not paying him hardly anything. Yeah. You know, it's under five million for one year. So that that part of it is fine. But I think we need to sort of potentially expect that he's not going to be there all year and we shouldn't expect you know 25 plus starts out of him yeah i agree with that the only thing i'll say that makes me think he may get a we get, may get a little more out of him than that is if he knows it's his last season he might just be willing to you know give what he's got and then call it a career which you know, sometimes you can squeak one more decent season out of somebody in that scenario it's also possible his body just gives up on him though i mean it, it's if you sound that rough, he might get out there. He might get into his first start. Uh, you know, might even go fine. But the next day, when the soreness starts to you know seep in and things go wrong, well, we'll see how that goes. But he is a wild card as well because Wade Miley. Uh, first of all, uh, I projection system 
on Wade Miley, he's the kind of guy who has just deceptive stuff. It's never going to play that well in terms of statistics for the most part. Um, and he can be really good. He kind of alternates really good and really bad when he can locate and when he can't. So um, it's a nice flyer on him if he is right. And if he can get through the season, he can be a halfway decent weapon like he was last time he was here, whenever, five years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he also might just blow up and never even be on the team at all. So a uh, wide range of outcomes here. Um, I, I think he wouldn't have come back if he didn't think he could come back and we'll probably get something out of him. But uh, he, uh, he may be a guy that needs replacing part of the way through. And uh, we might see young guys replacing Wade sooner rather than later. Yeah, it is interesting. I just pulled up his spring training numbers. Uh, they're slow rolling him. So yeah. he's getting a slow start to spring training, which is exactly what you do with somebody like this. He probably would be on a when we start the season, if he's the fifth starter, he's probably on a very limited pitch count. Yep. And maybe you actually piggyback him and Hauser to start and just plan on that being like the the uh, plan off out of the gate. Yeah, that wouldn't be surprising at all, honestly. Yeah. So, but in two innings, he does have five strikeouts and no walks. So, like, <laughs> I, that makes me smile. Uh, small sample size spring training stats. They're the best. Yeah. So, like, and it is one of the things... Of all the spring training stuff that I actually look at, that's where my eye goes first, and both for hitters and pitchers. I'm looking at strikeouts and walks because it actually does give you some indication of where they're at. Yeah. And you can sometimes see either good turns coming, like with Jimmy Nelson in 2017. It was apparent in spring training that he was a different dude. Like yeah. his strikeout to walk ratio, he had been a lower strikeout. Well, not lower, but his strikeouts have been more modest and he had walked quite a few guys. He came into that spring training and was just it was like seven, eight to one in terms of strikeouts to walks. And it bore out into the regular season. Then you saw it. So it is one of the things that is worth looking at, though. You also have to keep in mind quality of competition varies greatly in the spring training. Um, you can be seeing guys who are both good and bad. So, um, yeah, but I, I would say so far so good, at least from that perspective with Wade Miley. <laughs> so we can keep our fingers crossed there, but I wouldn't be expecting, you know, like I said, don't expect 140 like really good innings from Wade Miley. If you get it, consider yourself blessed. Yeah, I think that that fits. And the idea of, you know, piggybacking him with Hauser to the lefty righty thing, and they can kind of, you know, flip a lineup and, and tackle different parts of that too makes a ton of sense for sure. All right. Uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but Adam Post has a Patreon question here asking, what do you think the Brewers balance between five man and six man rotation will be? Um, you know, we we saw in recent years, whether it was, you know, coming off the COVID year and last year, the lockout kind of bouncing between five-man and six-man rotations. So I guess, Paul, let's start with you. Where do you kind of see them? I, I think they'll do that again. I think that, that's that's basically their MO, that they run kind of a six-man rotation, but the sixth man can be off days or uh, you know reliever starts or whatever. It can be bullpen or trying out the sixth guy, pulling up somebody for the minors for a cup of coffee. And I think they'll continue to run that way. I think they like the load management it provides on the top guys more than anything else. And that they're willing to basically take a flyer once every six days, plus off days, to, to make that happen. So I, I think that that's what you'll see most of the year. There'll be instances where they do go to five-man just because that's how the schedule happens to work out at any given time. But generally speaking, I expect 
there's their kind of normal six man mo to continue and that sixth spot just to be kind of random unpredictable weirdness for a lot of the time yeah in 2021 they had very few guys start on four days rest yeah. you know the normal four days rest it was much more common for guys to get five days rest uh i think burns didn't make any starts on normal four-day rest in 2021. Last year, it happened a lot more. And I think the biggest thing that probably was a huge factor in this was just injury. They had more guys to be able to throw out there, and so they could. In 2021, guys stayed relatively healthy, and they were able to then mitigate stuff in a way that, like last year, even if they had wanted to, what were you going to do? I mean, they were already scraping the bottom of the Jason Alexander barrel. Exactly. Like it's always a good metric, the Jason Alexander metric or the the Yandel Gustav metric. The more that guy pitches, the the fewer games you can play with that six start because that's the kind of talent that you're relying on at that time. Yeah. So you're hoping that you can go more five days off in between starts as Paul's saying, so not truly a six-man, because with off days, you can kind of bounce some things around there. But you want to have, you know, the potential of like a swingman. And we'll see how Hauser or whoever ends up in that role, because it could be yeah. Miley, too, just could depending be. on how it goes, uh, how they sort of adapt to it and how they, they take to it. Because some guys are much more okay with it. Some guys really are. They get set into like a starter mindset, and they don't want to do the swingman thing. So you just sort of play with what uh, what guys are really capable of because you don't want to say, well, just like take it and deal with it. Well, no, because <laughs> you want them to be successful in right. whatever they're doing. It doesn't help you to force them to do something they're just not comfortable with, and it shows in their performance. Yeah, you know, I haven't looked at the schedule that in depth yet, but that, last year they also had those two stupidly long stretches with no off days, mm-hmm. and I don't know if we have those again this year, but I kind of doubt it because they're actually hard to schedule. <laughs> Um, but don't, not actually sure. But that that hurt them last year for sure. Both of those uh, both of those schedule chunks uh, were really hard on them, and they lost people during both of them. So uh, mm-hmm. that also played a big role in that last year. Yeah, it really was. It was in May and then into June that they had those two runs. And part of it too, they did have a rain out that actually got rescheduled. That's right, and that caused a double header with the Cubs, but I don't know if there were any other, I think if they actually were just scheduled for these back to back, really long stretches where it was double digit days without a day yeah, off. They were, and we one day off in them. between. <laughs> and, and then you throw a double header into there and it's just like, okay, now you're just like trying to, to kill people. It's, it's insane. You shouldn't do that. That's bad scheduling. All right. Well, speaking of the swing men, let's kind of tackle that group of guys before we just jump full bore into the bullpen. So um, obviously that group this year, you know, Aaron Ashby, whenever he gets back, maybe uh, our favorite name, Jansen Junk. Uh, he's projected for about 35 innings this year, according to Pakoda. Bryce Wilson, former top 100 prospect, a guy the Brewers are taking a flyer on this year. Uh, maybe Robert Gosser. You know, obviously one of the names back in the Josh Hader trade last year. So all these guys kind of projected for about like 35 to 50 innings. I guess let's start with Ashby, obviously getting a late start to the year again with those injury issues or concerns that we kind of talked about in previous weeks. But um, Ryan, do you think that kind of just limits him to pen only this year? Or could you see him stepping in for some starts? I mean, I think I could see him stepping in for starts. I think I like the idea of having him work back as a reliever 
and having because one you won't need to do as much before bringing him back up he won't have to go through like an extended lengthening out process in the minors and maybe you do that in the majors and say okay our plan here we're going to use you as a middle reliever but the first time out we're going to throw you for you know 25 pitches and we're going to take that up to you know 35 and then maybe push that out to try to get it to you know 50 and sort of expand that way for him and give him significant rest in between but it's really his health is going to determine what they do with him more than anything this year like how is his shoulder reacting how is he feeling that's going to determine where he's going to go more than any other factor yeah they'll probably have um you know pitch counts and carefulness on him for a good chunk of the time frame when he first comes back but i also think it's worth considering just on our end like when we hear shoulder uh we we all panic and uh, well it's a not great pitcher injury to have they're not all the same either it's uh like we are i think worst case scenario on this particular injury in our own brains a lot of the time but it's also possible he could come back strong like it's possible he could have good rehab and actually come back and get going again well and shoulders part of the reason that they're such a problem is they're really complicated there's a lot of muscle groups going on up there and they balance each other out and there's all these different things that you have to worry about so it's a complicated joint which also means that there's a lot of different injuries that can happen the elbow is much simpler because it's you know it bends one way (laughs) and so you worry about the you know the mcl and the ucl and like that's kind of it like those that's where your concern is uh whereas the shoulder you know so many different things have to work right for it to function correctly, which means so much can go wrong, but it also means that you could have minor things versus major things. Yes. Um, on the topic of Bryce Wilson, Ryan, I know you're kind of a big fan of the possibility of him in the bullpen too. Um, obviously a question of if he's even going to make the opening day roster, but I guess how do you see him fit, fitting in and possibly maybe being a suitorish role considering his history of starting? Yeah, I think he does make the opening day roster. I don't think that they they went out and acquired him for a reason. He looked a lot better in terms of what he was doing when at towards the end of last year. And I think they're going to probably push him to the bullpen. And I don't know that I would want them to necessarily do more than maybe I I think he could be a multi inning candidate, a guy that you could throw out there for, you know, 50 pitches and then give three days off like the way that they used to manage Josh Hader. I think you could do that. I don't know that I would want to see him turning over lineups multiple times. I think that probably is not best suited with his skill set. And maybe he's changed enough that, that that is no longer true. But I would say right now, I would rather have him be in that middle rotation spot or sorry, middle uh, reliever spot and not necessarily be a starter, but he's obviously a guy who could do it. So yep. like it is possible it's within the, the, the potential outcomes here, but um, the spring training stats again. So take with a grain of salt, <laughs> four strikeouts, no walks in three innings. So, okay. Tells us almost nothing, but could be worse, right? It could be worse. At least it's not bad. That's the approach I take to spring training stats. Yeah. Um, I guess real quick before we head into the back end of the the bullpen, uh, I mentioned Robert Gosser. You know, when we did this last year, we we talked about Ethan Small a bit as a guy who could maybe come up mid-year and and help with the rotation or step in to fill a roster spot. Is If we see Robert Gosser this year, Ryan, how do you see him fitting into the plans? 
yeah, he could be a swing guy also. He, he could easily fill into that sort of a role. I could also see them just saying, hey, you're ready and we're going to throw you out as a starter should that need emerge. I, I could see it going a bunch of different ways, but I do think we see him debut this year. And I would, if I had to bet like on a time, like before or after the All-Star break, I'd say we see him debut before the All-Star break. Just because of the way pitching is, like you, you need a lot of different guys, and you're gonna run through like your roster quite a bit. I think there's a pretty good chance we see him early, and there, there's a lot to like about him. His the uh, their pitch characteristics, like that was why they got him, and they really like the the progress that he made last year. And pitchers sort of operate on their own weird timeline where it's like they'll sort of tell you when they're ready, and his stuff and his progress that he made last year was, I think sort of indicating like he is very much on the fast track, even though he began the year in a ball, uh, he, you know, ended the year in triple a doing reasonably well. Uh, James Anderson and I did talk about this, that like his numbers sort of, it's exactly what you would expect. He dominated in in high a last year, he moved to double a and the numbers went down a little bit. Like they got a little bit worse and then he moved to triple a and they got a little bit worse again but not remarkably so just like sort of within what you would expect. Like he faced a little bit better competition and he got a little bit worse. Yeah. These guys for me are just all six starter. And so Ryan's probably correct. Like before all-star breaks a good, good bet for, for Gosser just because um, that's just how the brewers operate. That position is you're going to need somebody at some point and you're going to have to dive down to the bullpen to get them. And he's a candidate to fill that sooner rather than later. So that makes perfect sense. Sure. And I guess speaking of Robert Gosser and the Josh Hader trade, looking at the bullpen, this is obviously the first full season without Josh Hader in, in several years. So uh, leading to some questions about how the Brewers will end games. Obviously, we know Devin Williams is going to be at the end of games and he's excellent. And we really don't need to worry about him handling that role at all. But I think if if fans have a, some question, it's it's how do you get to Devin Williams? Right. So um Instead of just going, you know, name by name like I did with the rotation, let's just kind of take the big picture and start with a Patreon question from Mark Podscarby, who's asking, what is your overall assessment of the bullpen and who do you think will step up to cover those late innings? Um, so I think it's pretty good. I worry a little bit. Um, uh, so Hater obviously is one of the best relievers in baseball and has been for a very long time, possibly one of the best ever. Uh, and Devin Williams is good. He's very, very good. And the pitching ninja stuff is fun. But I do worry about him a little bit because he has had some weird blowups and he's punched a wall. And I'm not sure necessarily the brain is there for the closer mentality. But, you know, generally speaking, he's super awesome. And um, after that, they have they have just really good depth. And they're really, really good at building bullpen depth and leveraging, um, you know, former starters and guys with two, not three good pitches. And, and like... I, I like Peter Strzelecki a lot. I think he will uh, fit into one of the one of the setup men uh, when the long guys are gone. And I like uh, Jake Cousins might not make the team, but I still like his stuff, even though it doesn't always play up that well. Um, I, I think they're with the long guys they have, with the starters that will end up in the bullpen, with Hauser being rookie or whatever. If he, that's how it goes, um, I think it's pretty strong. I think it's still one of the best in the division. And I think they'll be okay. Uh, and Council is still outstanding at managing platoons and workloads 
with it and they have enough horses there to make it happen. So I think they will be, it still will be a strength of the team. There's more question marks than there usually is, um, but not really that many. It's really, if Williams is fine, if he's just a nails closer like he should be, they have the horses to make this really, really good. Yeah, it's interesting. I was looking at the stuff plus numbers and actually Eno Saracen noted this when he was writing up closers like a month ago and was looking at the stuff plus and uh, location plus and and so the pitching plus numbers for all these guys. He noted that Hader was among the worst in terms of location plus, which isn't really like not a surprising. Surprise. Yeah. No, <laughs> like you watched him pitch. You know that that's the case. Even when he's good, you're always like, well, he's kind of living outside the zone and he's relying on guys to go swinging at stuff outside the zone because of the deception and all of that. But yeah, I mean, Williams actually 115 stuff plus 100 location plus, which works out to a 106 pitch plus, whereas Hader 117 stuff plus a little bit better, but not remarkably so, but a 93 location plus mm-hmm. with the Brewers last year. So that definitely like it's something that you always had to kind of worry about there. And I don't worry about that in the same way with Williams, though he would get sort of extended out last year. And maybe it was just right when he took over, he would get into these things where like you would have these games where all of a sudden you're at like 30 pitches in an inning and he's turned into like K-Rod. Yeah. You have the 30 <laughs> pitches of terror There's situation. Some K-Rod in there once in a while for sure. But that wasn't normal for him. Like throughout like most of the year, you didn't see that much. I think the fact that it happened, maybe it was some nerves right away with taking over, or maybe it was just like bad luck, bad timing, whatever. But he seemed to have it like those first couple weeks. And I think that soured a lot of people on him uh, in terms of how good he actually was. He when he when After he took over the Colzer role, his ERA was still like two and a half. Like it was not... It was not bad right. by any stretch of the imagination. He was a good reliever. It's just that he had some high profile. I feel like some of his blowups, too, were like on Saturdays and Sundays. Yep. So like people saw them and it was very noteworthy. Like it was it was in games that people were watching as opposed to, you know, a random Tuesday or something. So I, I think that Paul generally here is right. They have a, quite a bit of depth in a lot of different ways that this can go, but Williams is sort of the key, and I don't see any real reason to think that Williams is going to be anything less than like a good solid closer. I think that's true stuff wise. I just I worry about that he's a weirdo. That's my one big concern. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of similarly too. I feel like last year when we saw Devin Williams struggle, or even in the last couple of years when we've seen him struggle, it's because the changeup location's not quite there or guys aren't, you know, chasing out of the zone for the airbender, right? Like when they're starting to look for that and they know it's going to tail out of the zone, uh, that's where he kind of ran into trouble if he couldn't spot the fastball. But I think, um, you know, op- opposed to uh, Josh Hader, who was pretty much all fastball, right? And the slider was iffy at best. I feel like he, Williams has a really good fastball and typically good location on that too. So I guess... I'm I'm with Ryan in that that kind of gives me, you know, hope and and um you know more reason for optimism with Devin Williams I think over a full season too. Plus you know he's he's getting a full off season to prepare knowing he's the guy right. Um so I I think that'll pay off. It's just a matter of how we get there right. So yeah, he's um, not being thrown yeah. into anything. This no, he's year. not. That's true. Right, right. Uh, Mark had a second 
part of his Patreon question here. So out of, uh, looking at kind of the, the bottom of the bullpen, not the back end, uh, he's asking out of the bullpen guys who can't be optioned down to the minors, including Javi Guerra, Joel Pyamps, Gus Varland, and Bryce Wilson, who has the best and the worst shot to make the team? Well, I already sort of said here, I think that Bryce Wilson is a virtual lock. I, I would bet heavily that he's going to be in there. So I think he has the best of that group. Worst, it's a little bit harder from that from that uh group. I guess maybe Varland just because like he was a rule five. So keeping him the whole year would be difficult. Like you're gonna have to do some machinations to like keep him the whole year. So maybe that makes it just easier for them to say, okay, we're gonna let him go than some of the others. I mean, I don't have anything much to add to that other than I think Varland has a little bit up on making the team for that reason. But also true, like if you think you're not going to be able to pull off what you need to pull off to keep him on the team the whole season, makes more sense to cut bait early on that rather than put yourself behind the eight ball. If he's if he sucks, you don't want that. Um, so yeah, and I, I agree uh, with Wilson being super likely, and I think it's just flipping a coin between the other two if you exclude Varland. So. Um, Wilson with a bullet, and then after that, it's just see who gets hot. So I did want to bring up one thing. We went past this, but I wanted, because you were talking about Matt Bush. That was in the original rundown here, and then we kind of changed it around a little bit. But I did want to point out, as far as Matt Bush goes in Stuff Plus, he's a Stuff Plus, uh, particularly like a Pitching Plus darling. Yeah, um, He really, really grades out good in it. Uh, he has a 128 stuff plus and a 101 location plus for a 109 pitch plus, and that puts him if you can if you sort by uh, 50 innings. So from last year, 50 innings of both his time in Texas and in Milwaukee, uh, that puts him smack dab in between Corbin Burns at 19 and Brandon Woodruff at 23. He's <laughs> at 21. <laughs> so That's crazy. There is something to work with there. There's a reason the Brewers are so high on him. And why they like him so much. Like, there's there's a reason here. Um, also in that group, though, if you want to take the, the negative approach, Phil Bickford is also in that middle group. And he was a guy the Brewers let go. But then he ended up on the Dodgers and has been there, yeah, I think, since. So there's also that. Yeah, the Dodgers have some sort of weird, crazy magic that'll turn even guys like Phil Bickford into solid relievers, right? Because he... he didn't show much of anything with the Brewers. And that's why they were more than content to give them away. But yeah. And I think out of the guys that we've talked about too, it's important to remember, you know, that if they have to cut ties with like Javi Guerra or Bryce Wilson, even it's not like they gave up anything for him. Right. We were kind of talking about this before we started, mm-hmm. but they're basically, you know, dart throw, that could be really good yep. or could just be okay we'll cut him loose um Piamps maybe a little bit different because he was part of that Wilson Contreras trade obviously they saw something they like there but um a lot of these guys too yeah if it, it's you know the, the usual Brewers process of bring in a bunch of guys with a bunch of fun tricks as Steve likes to say and, and see who sticks right so um kind of shrug if you lose some of them um if you get anything good out of them awesome right yeah so well i think maybe a better way to look at this too is okay so we have these four we've been talking about who is likely to stay and who's likely to go let's talk about how many of them are likely to make the opening day roster because we talked about last week that you have four locks in 
because we were counting Hauser as one of them, but in Williams, Bush, and Milner, plus Hauser. Okay, so we had those four locks, and then Strzelecki is a close to lock, right? Like we thought he was probably going to make it. So then now you're at five, and that leaves three roster spots. And if I were to put the over under at two, it does two seem right for the number of those guys of that four for them to keep? Yeah, I think two seems about right. Like two seems, and I, I have a hard time because if I go one point five, I'm definitely going Good over. Two, yeah. And if I go two point five, I'm definitely going under. under. Yeah. So two seems like it is very much the number there, and I think Bryce Wilson is one of them, and I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess kind of at who the other one of those two is and i think you you then sneak in probably if it's if it's two of those guys you're then sneaking in one other guy and maybe that's tyson miller because he's been so good but we'll see what uh what they end up deciding to do there but yeah that's I feel like we've we've sort of talked about these guys a lot, but we haven't really handicapped it for people. So we're not like giving useful information, but it's also the bullpen and like, you know, the Steve line, like they're all carnies that have one weird trick and like they're kind of fungible and replaceable. So don't get too attached to any of them. Exactly. We're talking about the very marginal uh, section of the most marginal section and not many of them are going to make it. Uh, it's a bunch of guys fighting over like one or two spots. So um, that they are the coin flips. They are the literally like, are you hot right now? You're on the team. Congratulations. Don't get don't get too used to your apartment. Yeah, <laughs> rent. Don't buy. Well, right. Yeah. Right. And like, okay, say Javi Guerra makes the opening day roster. It it seems like odds are that you know in three days when they need a fresh arm, he's gone. You know, like I would say, don't get too worked up about who quote unquote makes the team, right? Because a lot of these guys are going to turn over really quickly, even in April too. Yeah, and even though I've been like the biggest Bryce Wilson honk here, if they end up breaking camp and saying, "Nope, oh, we're cutting ties with Bryce Wilson and he's gone," I'm not going to be upset. Like I, I think he's probably pretty good. I, my guess is he's the best of that group at least at this point but i don't know for sure like i'm not there i'm not seeing things <laughs> on a daily basis yeah I, I have you know it's it's a guess and i think that we have to take that uh that into account and i think we also need to be careful not to if they end up keeping say three of those guys from that group to maintain depth well yeah okay you, you may be upset that tyson miller didn't make the opening day roster because you feel like he earned it in camp but he's a phone call away yeah He's right there. And having these other guys, giving them a little bit of a chance to sift through and see what you've got and to see how they are. It's one thing to pitch in spring training. It's another thing to do it when there are real bullets in the guns. Like, And you're, you're really doing it under the real pressure of pitching in big league games. And maybe they want to continue to see and they want to try and see if they can maybe fix something. If there's something they think is not, not quite right about a guy that's causing him to be a little shaky, maybe they think they can fix that. You have to give some room for these things to happen just because it's you're you're trying to end up with the best group that you possibly can by year's end. And so don't just give away a guy because it's not quite working right now. Maybe you have to be a little bit patient. Absolutely. And, you know, if the last few years are any indication, the, the Brewers will make a deadline trade for a reliever or two or three. <laughs> and those guys may be on the team at the end of the year, too. All right. One last Patreon question before we wrap up this pitching preview here it comes from Luke Roy's suitcase. And it's an always 
always a favorite of mine, uh, spring tra training topic, but uh, Luke Roy's suitcase asking, are there any brewers that have developed new pitches this off season? Are there any we should be excited for? Um, so I think admittedly, we tried to look this up. I don't know if we heard much about that. So from brewers camp, I you know? actually did spend a little bit of time on this and I did this by, I didn't find anything. Don't worry. Don't get too excited. Ryan <laughs> did a fist pump. Uh, I did it by searching all of the beat writers and the word developed on Twitter and, uh, nothing popped up. So, uh, unfortunately my, my tried and true technique didn't work. Usually you do find one couple on those usually cut fastballs, but, uh, no, doesn't look like any high-profile new pitch developments that I could find, unless unless you did better than I did. No, yeah. I also came up goose eggs on this, and All I right. searched. Yep. Yeah, much less uh, um, carefully than you did. I think I, <laughs> I think I had too many terms in my search engine, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't find anything either. And it's a little bit weird that there isn't anything. I, it, this is not to say that this has not happened. It's right. just that, as far as we could tell, nobody has talked about it. In such a way that it, it showed up on our radar. And, so uh, I just want to throw this out. There's a possibility too, because the Brewers' communications skills have changed drastically over the last couple of years too. It's also possible they told pitchers not to talk about new pitches, <laughs> um, sure. which is entirely possible because it is a little bit of a competitive advantage if you tell teams that now they have to prepare for you know random new cut fastball out of this pitcher they haven't seen before. So po also possible. Yeah, I would say. It somewhat likely even that or and not necessarily that they told pitchers not to talk about it but just that they haven't talked about it. they're not yeah out there advertising it maybe the pitcher themselves wants it to be a little bit of a surprise they're they're slow playing it a little bit and saying yeah if i unleash this thing uh maybe i can get a, a couple months of like complete dominance uh with people not knowing that this thing was coming like it to stay off the scouting report that's harder to do right today's day and age everybody knows everything really really fast in a way that uh somebody was talking about this i can't even remember where they talked about it but it was like it's so much faster now that like scouting reports get updated and pitcher or hitters figure out what pitchers are doing pitchers figure out where hitters weaknesses are so much faster than they ever have before uh and so if you gain an advantage, you lose that advantage relatively quickly just because everybody knows everything because everybody has a bunch of smart people working for them now. But yeah, you would you could still see somebody trying to be like a little coy about what they're doing. But yeah, I didn't see anything. I guess the closest thing we could talk about is the fact that Bryce Wilson's splitter uh, is something that developed late last year. And I don't know that. Uh, people have necessarily fully incorporated it into their understanding of how good a pitcher he is. And it's part of why I think he could be a dominant middle reliever setup man. Like I think that that's in the cards for him because that pitch looks truly nasty. I saw a yeah. gif of it um, and it, the pitch looks nasty. I love a good splitter, uh, but it's hell on pitcher's arms. So yeah, maybe relief is better for, for those as well. Yeah, like Keith Law always talked about splitters in terms of uh, it was splitters and screwballs where he's like, you want to go to some pitchers and just tell them when they're like 25, 26 years old and maybe they have a decent fastball and you want to go to them and be like, uh, well, here, would you like to make a deal with the devil, potentially get a major league career for a few years before your elbow blows out? Because we can teach you these pitches and they're going to wreck your elbow. You're going to end up having surgery. Yep. It's going to be a problem, but you could maybe get a few years out of it. Do you want to make the deal with the devil and do that? Like, that's up to you. And so 
yeah, like that's definitely in the category splitter and, and uh screwball are the two that really uh do that. And actually I think people think Devin's the, the airbender, the airbender is, is probably a screwball it, or has screwball I mean, it tendencies. It moves like a screwball and it doesn't look like it's easy on your arm. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. So and, it, and it's it's how it's coded in MLB the show. They they call it a screwball in in the video game because that's the only pitch that animates that way. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's definitely a screwball. <laughs> um, all right, that'll do it for questions this week. I think we've kind of gone in as in depth into the pitching as we possibly can at this point three weeks before opening day so um next week we're going to focus on the hitters and uh some of the new additions in the lineup and whether we think they're going to be any more fun to watch this year than they were last year uh at least some interesting names to talk about you know we, we talked about Sal Freilich being exciting in the world baseball classic we'll talk about his odds of being on the major league roster again and then the week after that we'll kind of wrap things up with some predictions league-wide stuff as well so be on the lookout for that over the next couple of weeks. In the meantime, before we go, uh, we would also like you to leave a review and a rating for this podcast as we go through this uh, preview process, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, wherever else you listen to us. If you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Paul will read literally anything you write. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh Patrons, look out for the call for questions next week. We'll be focusing on the hitters. So uh, think of your questions now, and, and we'll send that out in the next week or so. In the meantime, uh, stay on Aaron Rodgers' watch, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, look for Paul's podcast on that whenever it happens. But have a good week, bye, everyone. As of March 5th. Sorry, can you hear the dog barking? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, the on. dog's going nuts. We'll call this the dog pause. The dog pause, yeah.